April started, Blake, if, you'll, if you have to turn down the mains, but I need some here in these monitors, please. Amen. Good to see all of you here. I want to encourage you as we get ready to go into, we're going to go into a, a series, a new series today. Give me a little bit more, if you will, right here. Uh, we're going to go into a brand new series called Slings and Stones. Actually, was looking for a message, and I've preached. You say, Pastor, how in the world do you come up with series? Well, I have volumes and volumes of printed material that I have done through the years in my office that a lot of times I go back through and I, I start looking um, and asking the Lord to give me direction. But the main way that I am able to uh, share with you these series and come to what I, how I come to a uh, series and how I'm going to preach is, is by this, and I want everybody to get this, is I believe that it's important that what I'm feeding from, what I'm eating on, is good enough for you. Now, you may want something in your life, but unless you're willing to feed yourself, uh, it's going to be tough. Now, when, you were, when your children were little, you fed them. You chewed up things, you fed it to them. But you need to be feeding yourself. And so, just a few weeks, not even a, a month or so ago, uh, uh, I was going through reading, and I read every, every day that I, I, that I can remember. And the days that I miss in the mornings, I go in the evenings. It's not because I have to, but because I can't make it. Now, I don't know about you, but you might be one of those people that can go once a day eating and you're okay. And I see people shaking their head no. I cannot go once a day eat. I need to eat. And matter of fact, I, you know, I have a, a father-in-law I love so much. He's about to turn 79 in just a couple of weeks, not very far off. That was for my wife's sake. She won't forget it. But he's one of those guys that could get up and he could eat breakfast and then just he would say, I forgot to eat lunch. You can look at me and know that I'm not the type of guy that eats breakfast and forgets lunch. Come lunchtime, I'm looking for the trough, amen? <laughs> I'm looking for the place to eat. Uh, because really our bodies are designed to eat more than one time a day. Matter of fact, if you think losing weight is, well, I'll eat one time a day, and that will, they will tell you, dietitians will tell you that's not the best way. The best way is to eat smaller meals more times a day, and your body, is that right? Is that correct? I, if I understand it right, that's the way to lose it. You can see that I have not figured all that out yet. I like to sit down and eat. What I'm going to share with you today is what I have been feeding from. Is that Okay. Which means this isn't regurgitated, but it means that if I'm going to cook steaks at my house, I don't invite you over and feed you a bologna sandwich. Come on, somebody. Are you with me? I, I, if I come to your house and you're fixing steaks on the grill and I smell the charcoal, I don't want your bologna sandwich. If you eat bologna sandwich, I'll eat one with you. But if you're eating a steak, I want a steak. Come on, somebody. And so that's where we're going today. And I'm going to take you to the book of 1 Samuel. And I want you to just bookmark that. We're going to go to 1 Samuel 16. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to, you can, I, I think it's a good thing that you bring your Bible. I know some of you are going to use your iPhones, you're going to use your iPads and all that. But bring your Bible. This Bible is one of a few that I have, but it's one that I, I work on pretty hard. It's got a lot of markings in it. It's got a lot of underlining. There's a lot of notes. And I had to take it, or I sent off and had somebody put some leather uh, and, and really just stick it inside of it because it was starting to come apart, and I really didn't want to lose 
not necessarily not lose that Bible, but because of the notes that are in it are very important to me. I don't know if you have one of those in your life, but I do. I had a pastor, a preacher that used to come here, and his Bible was duct taped all over. And I said, man, what did you do to your Bible? He said, well, it was mine, it was my daddy's, it was my grandfather's. And he said, I love it so much, I don't want to lose that. And so then he finally ended up getting it rebound. So I want to look at something that I, Tegan and I were, Pastor Tegan and I were talking about what they were doing in the youth department and the students, and they had been talking about David. And I thought about how that this is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. When you get into 1 Samuel and you start talking about Saul and David as a young man, it's one of my favorite parts. So I thought, hey, what, a, what better way to reinforce what he's teaching on to these young people. And they've been into it two or three weeks now. And so, uh, and let me reinforce that and also help apply it to our lives as well. Because I believe that anytime you go into the Word of God and you begin to read it, it will not go out and return void. It's not going to go out and fall on deaf ears. You say, well, how do I know that it won't fall on deaf ears? Well, if you'll listen, you'll receive it. But if you don't show up, you can't get it. So I want to encourage you. And the only way that you can really get the fullness of this message is to show up for the next four weeks to hear it. Because it's going to be important or you're going to miss a piece of this story. And you're going to miss pieces of this story. And we're going to get to, in about three weeks, where David gets Goliath. And that's one of my favorite parts. If you ever went to Sunday school, you know that's the favorite part of the story. When the, when the good guy gets the bad guy, right? Amen. When the underdog gets the, the, the guy that's supposed to win. So I, it's going to lead right up to that. And so this week I want to go to the passage in Scripture where David, scholars believe, they agree that he was somewhere between the ages of 10 to 13 years old. This message is about applying the purpose of God in your life and understanding that God just, just didn't create me. We're gonna, when you, if you come to Refuge Church very long, you're going to hear me talk a lot about purpose. See, if I ask you today, individually, and I said to you, hey, do you know what pastor's purpose is in the church? Now, some might be confused, and some might say, well, that's to go to the hospitals, that's to visit the sick, the shut-in, that uh, his purpose is to clean the church, his purpose is to mow the grass, and all of those things may be good things, but that's not really the purpose that the pastor has here, not when you go according to the Bible. When you look according to the Bible, what you find out is that the purpose that God gives the shepherd is to take care of the flock. And when I say take care of the flock, that doesn't mean push pacifiers back in that's been pushed out for people who've been in church for a long time. You can laugh, grin, frown, whatever, but it's true. When we say taking care of the sheep, that is to make sure that it's a protector. That's to make sure that the people I bring in that preach here are not preaching false doctrine to you. To make sure that what they're teaching. That's why I'm so funny about who gets up here. I'm kind of weird about that in some ways because I have been there when I literally had to stand up and say, Hey, you can't, I can't let you teach that here. Because I felt like it was not scriptural. And it's important to me that I make sure that you're protected. So we know what, okay, let's know that the, the pastor's purpose, what it is, is to preach and, and uh, it's to protect the flock, it's to feed the flock, it's to make sure that, he, that the flock doesn't go astray. But what is my purpose? What is it that God called me here for? Is it just so that when they do the giving talks that I can give into that offering to, uh, to somehow support this work? You know, the truth of it is 
This, these giving talks and what, God, and, and what you give is more about you than it is about us. It's, it's more about you than it is about uh, God. Why? It's about your obedience to the Lord. It's about you giving. I'll give this real quick thing as we get into this. 1 Samuel 16, if you're going there, turning in your Bible, looking in your iPad, whatever you're doing this morning, we're going to go there. I was sitting there thinking as, as Pastor Tagan was talking about giving. And about two weeks ago, we, uh, when we were away, I write my tithe check ahead because we're still one of those people who writes checks every now and again. And I'd wrote that tithe check ahead and, and put it in my office and I'd put it in an envelope for it to go into the offering and I designated somebody to put that in for me because I wanted to make sure the church had the tithe that I was supposed to give because it's my first fruits. Anybody on the same boat with me? So... It was, and then Brother Jerry, every now and again, he's very good with numbers, and he's at work today, and we miss him, amen, but, and we do, we miss him, he's at work and having to work, he's very good with numbers. Pastor Bethany didn't write the check, I did. Now, if you look through my checkbook, you're going to find out I don't write many checks, she does. So in the check writing, the number was correct in the box, but when I wrote out, you know how you write out 100, 200, 1,000, whatever, at the end of that, I wrote the wrong numbers at the end of it. And Jerry, being the good guy that he is, even though could have may have deposited that check, put it back in the envelope, put it back in my inbox, and said, Pastor, you need to look at this check. The numbers at the bottom don't match up. I tell you all of that to say this, that my wife writes our tithe on Sunday morning, hands it to me to be able to put in that offering, and so I asked her, she'd already written the check and handed it to me at the house before we left. You see, I, I'm going to share this with you. It was already purposed in my heart to give. And I said, baby, did you rewrite the check that we just got back? And she looked at me and she said, no. I said, I voided that check. I wrote it out wrong. I need, to, I need another check. Now, Pastor Ted, a lot of people would have said, well, I messed it up, the church didn't get it, it's a different week, and I'm going to do different with it. But that ain't how it works, is it, Brother David? If you want to know the blessings of God in your life, it's about your obedience to God when nobody else is looking. Character is about when nobody's looking. Come on, somebody. Integrity is when nobody else knows it but you. And you realize, hey, God wants to bless me, but the only way that He's going to bless my life is to be able to do what He's called me to do and for me to act in obedience. Are you there with me? All right, anybody with me at 1 Samuel 16.1? We're talking about David. And I'm going to share with you, just as I did, personal struggles, things in my own life, but I want to share with you about some of the life of David and about his purpose. Look at this. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. Saul was the king at the time. Samuel was the prophet. David was the young teenage, possibly preteen boy that was somewhere between 10 and 13 years old. Samuel the prophet's writing and he says, You have mourned over Saul long enough because the Lord's rejected him. Why did he reject him? Because he had done things God told him not to do and would not turn from that. God had given him uh, the way to. He said, I've rejected him as the king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil. Go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse. Somebody say Jesse. Jesse lives there. Jesse is David's father. 
For I have selected one of his sons, one of them, to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about this, he will kill me. The Bible says, take you, take a heifer. Somebody say, take a heifer. Why? Because they needed to make a sacrifice. A sacrifice is in a lot of different forms, but sacrifice it a lot of times comes from the things that we have and we hold dear to us. I'm not going to ask anybody to do this today, but I'm going to make a point here. My wallet is not leather, but a lot of wallets are leather. We wrap what's important to us in leather. If you don't think money's important to somebody, you start talking about it and getting on it, and you can see people go, I knew they'd get on money again. I knew they'd talk about it again. We, we will let a lot of things go. So back in the day that Samuel, Saul, David, and Jesse lived, their money wasn't wrapped in wallets like this. Their money was in heifers. It was in uh, sheep. It was in th- that's how they knew. Abraham was rich not because he had all kinds of silver and gold, but because he had herds. So you understand that. Their, their leather actually still was walking. And so... The Bible says that Samuel says, how am I going to do that? Because if Saul catches wind of me going down to Jesse's house to anoint one of his sons to be king, he's going to kill me. And God tells him, take a heifer. Well, let me back up. The Bible says, Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he, says, he's, he, will, he said, he will kill me. He says, take a heifer, the Lord replied. The Lord tells him to do that. And say... That you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Something that has cost me. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. Look at this. And I'll show you which one of the sons to anoint for me. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now as we've come into this service at this time. Father, to lean in for the next 30 minutes to hear your word. To receive it. And Lord, to be able to leave here with something Lord, more than what we came with. Father, not to be focused on who's here, who's not here. Not to be focused on what's going on around us, even what's happening in our own life. But God, that you will allow us today to hear this word in such a way that we leave God with a different aspect, a different uh, visual, a different outlook, Lord, upon our own life. Father, we pray it, we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I want to talk to you on the subject uh, today of, we're talking about the life of David But I want to share with you about what the word anointed or anointing means. Now, we've got this bottle of oil here. And this bottle of oil, what little oil is in here, uh, a lot of times in a church you'll find them, they'll have a bottle of olive oil. Now, Tegan, Pastor Tegan's been like me and Pastor Ted's been like me in church. If you've been in church very long, there is nothing worse than nasty smelling olive oil that has been in the church under the pulpit for the last 25 years. And I have found it and like opened it up and like, ooh, you know, I mean, that's like fungus among us. We don't need that. So this oil is not anything special except for for it has a fragrance to it and it doesn't smell. And, of course, with people like Pastor John coming, it doesn't last very long because he pours it on people. You can laugh. It's all right. He can watch this and know it. You can tell him. He doesn't care. Anointing. When we think about anointing, we think about taking oil, 
putting it on the forehead of someone. We read the Bible, we think about the anointing oil. The flask was a bottle or was a container that they would pull the top off of, maybe a horn that they would pour the oil over David's head. It was a sign that he was anointed king. Now, in the 21st century, we usually don't pull the stopper out of the bottle of oil, even though I have been in services with a few evangelists that I have seen do that and pour it on people. And you know, but God better be in it when they're, by, when they're wearing a Michael Kors shirt or whatever it is they got on. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. So when we think about anointing, we're not thinking about the anointing and the way that they anointed the kings by pouring physical oil on them. We're thinking about anointed or anointing in a different aspect. I'm going, to, I'm going to share with you the word that I'm going to use. When we say that a person, we say, Wayne is anointed to sing. We say that word in church and we think that everybody in church, everybody been in church ought to know what anointing means. But there's a lot of people that are showing up into your church service that have no idea what that means. So to give you the simple understanding of what that means is that when we say, let's just say Wayne is anointed to sing, we're saying that God has set him apart and marked him so that he sings like he does. Are you with me? Pastor Ted's anointed to preach to the youth, to the children, to the... He's anointed to preach the Word of God, which means that God has marked him specifically. David was marked specifically by the priest Samuel who would take the horn of oil, he would pour it over David's head, and he would anoint him as king. The only one that could do that was by the Word of the Lord, and the priest had to actually do it. Are you with me? Saul is king. Saul has been rejected. We've read the word. You can go back and read all of these chapters and find out that God is very upset with him. David is between 10 and 13 years old and God has already picked him out, handpicked him to be the, to be the next king. Again, the king may not mean a whole lot to a lot of us, but it does when you're talking about the Bible. The anointing in the Bible usually represents a time of rejoicing. It also indicates that God singles out a person. He puts special responsibilities on them and gives them favor to do that. Somebody say purpose. You've got to know what your purpose is. If you don't know what your purpose is, you're going to be bored in church. You're not going to want to come to church. You're going to try to figure out something else to do on Sunday mornings. But hear me, when you know what your purpose is, what it is that God has called you to do, and sometimes what you think your purpose is isn't what you think it is. It's what God already knows about you. You're going to get this today before we get out of here. You, sometimes what you think your purpose is, in other words, what you think God's called you to do, isn't exactly what God's called you to do. But when we figure out, when we find out what it is that makes you tick, when we know that God has this special anointing and favor upon your life, He has marked you for a specific purpose. When you start to move in that purpose, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to find joy like you've never had before. You're going to have a peace like you've never had before. You will smile at a front door and greet everybody coming through and know that this is why God called me here. To love and to be hospitable to people who are coming in to sit in our chair to hear God's word maybe for the first time. This is my purpose. Come on, somebody. We have a lot of people that come through 
and they see that we're moving from one stage of worship to another stage of worship, and we'll hear people say, I could sing. Well, we're one of those type churches that's kind of funny about the singing part of it. We don't just throw you up. We were ta- throw you up. That sounds good. We don't just throw you up on the platform and hand you a microphone and say, hey, go at it. We were talking this morning, Pastor Tegan and I were. I said, you know, used two years ago, uh, if, you, if you looked like you could teach a class, they would hand you Sunday school material and tell you where the class was on the way to the room. And we don't do that here. It's just a little bit different here. We make sure that we know without a doubt in our hearts, one, if you can't sing, you don't need to be up here singing. The Bible says, make a joyful noise, Pastor. Go to the shower and make it. Go to your car and turn on your radio and make it. Amen. But some have, we were watching a show and this guy supposedly could sing and they had him on there and he was singing and he recorded this thing and Bethany was like, my word, he's flat. I said, I know I can't sing, but I know he's flat. Uh, I, and it kept going and kept going and I said, somebody hasn't told him yet that he is really, really flat, really flat in places. And so here's the thing. When you find out what your purpose is and you know that's what it is, let God take you through the process. A lot of people don't want to go through the process. They don't want to go through the process. Well, I sang at my old church. I preached at my old church. Well, this ain't your old church. Come on, somebody. I did this at that church. I did. Listen to me. You've got to realize that God has a process that He moves us through. And as He moves us through the process, there may be some times that He prunes some things off of you that needed to be off of you before that didn't get off of you that because it wasn't off of you, you weren't really productive where you were. But because God has brought you to this place for such a time as this, allow God to do the pruning in your life because everybody knows that a, that a vine, that a plant will really grow once it's been pruned. Had an older gentleman in the church, and I'm going to get back to David. He had a green thumb. I don't really have a green thumb. He's one of those that could put a stick in the ground and it will grow. Some of you know people like that. Your granny would take a stick and put it in water and they would call rooting that thing. And my mom could do that. She would root, they would put it in water and you got to just leave it in the window for this long time. And they would root this whatever, piece of a shrub, something they got from grandma's house, something they got from granny's house and then they would plant it at their house. This older gentleman one time told me, he said, Pastor, the key to being able to do things and and to uh, make things grow he said, the best friend you can have. And he pulled out a pair of pruning shears. And I said, what do you mean by that? Of course, I didn't know. I'm used to putting tomatoes in the ground. And there's an art to that, too, about plucking off the suckers and knowing exactly which one to do. So there's something to it. And he, would, he said, when this plant gets to a certain stage in its life, it's going to need to be pruned back. It's going to have things that are going to grow off of it that will keep, it'll try to push food to that place that it doesn't need it and it needs to be pruned off so it will grow. You know what the problem with a lot of people who've been in church, they don't want to be pruned back. I'm going to say this, pruning is sometimes painful. Pruning is sometimes hard because it, it allows us to become, uh, it's one thing, it's painful. We, we, we feel a change coming on and not everybody who says they like change, like change. David is about to go through a change. The, the place that he is uh, about to be anointed king over is going, to be, is going to be a change that's going to take place. So the anointing represents the favor of God, singles that person out, puts responsibility on them for the purpose that God's called them for.
In 1 Samuel 16 of the Old Testament, David sent, uh, sent, God sent Samuel to Jesse's house, anoint, king, anoint him to be the king. But in the New Testament, we find in John chapter 14 that God sends the Spirit to anoint you to believe, or if you will believe, in Jesus. He will equip you, but you have to be filled. There's too many people trying to do the work of God without being filled with God. They want to do the work of God, but they're not filled with the Spirit of God. They're not filled with the anointing of God. They have not been marked with the favor of doing it. You can learn how to teach a class. You can learn how to preach a message. You can learn how to sing a song. But there is something about being marked and set apart for what God's called you to do. Amen. So if, you, if you're going to function as a leader, if God's called you to be a leader, then the first thing that needs to happen in your life is you need to be filled. Daddy used to say, when people would ask him, I've heard it even posted now on social media, and I'd heard Daddy say this 35 years ago. People would ask him, do I need to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost? And Daddy would say, you need to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, can I get to heaven without being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost? He said, you can, but I'd hate to know that I had to walk across the street to the store without being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We, we want to bypass the process, but there is a process that you and I need to realize that God has laid out for us. We want the power that somebody else has, but we're not willing to pay the price that, God, that they have. There's truth to that. We'll watch people on television preach and we'll hear them and we'll say, man, I wish I was that way or I, I wish I could pray like them. There is a process that you must go through. There's a price that will be paid for that. John 14, 26 says this, but when the Father sends you the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. In other words, the advocate to the Father is who? Y'all better help me. We're going to be late getting out of here. It's the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says. I have this highlighted. I have this bold. He will teach you everything. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. In other words, everything you need, God will teach you. And He will not only teach you that, but the Holy Spirit has a way of reminding you everything that the Holy Spirit's already taught you. Oh, let me preach here. You get up and you, you preach well, you sing well, you talk well, and you say, man, I did pretty good. I did all right for the first time. I did pretty good for my second time. I felt good about that. And the Holy Spirit comes along and He kind of bumps you a little bit and reminds you, you know what? You weren't alone in that. You didn't do that by yourself. You, what, you didn't even know where to look for me when you got saved. I'm the one that found you. I'm the one that pulled you out of the ditch. I'm the one that picked you up. I'm the one that anointed you with the voice that you have. I'm the one that anointed you and gave you the preach down in your spirit. I'm the one who has called you up. The Holy Spirit has taught you, but He will also remind you of everything. So let's look at this. The sermon that we're talking about today is in first person. So if you could preach to yourself every day that you head into battle, you'll, help, you'll be able to understand this a little bit more. People believe very little about what someone else tells them. I know that because most Sundays that I preach, there are things that I know that I have covered and said throughout the year that somebody is going to say, now pastor, does God really, does he really mean that for me? They don't believe 
A lot of times what somebody else has told them, look at this, but they'll believe every time what they have said about themselves. Come on, somebody. If I, if I say to you, God's got purpose in your life. He's called you. You've got a grander purpose in this life. Some of you go out of here and say, well, yeah, you know, God called me probably when I was a kid, but I sloughed that off. I'm not doing that anymore. I've moved on. God's not there anymore. God may have called me to speak. He may have called me to teach. He may have called me to serve. But I just, I just don't know about that anymore. I'm not sure that I believe what the pastor said. But you'll look at yourself and say, self, you have gotten fat. And you know what? Because you told self that, you'll believe that. Why is it that we have trouble believing what God has said about us? Why is it we have trouble when we go to the Word of God and we read it that we have trouble about what God has said about us? Because God's Word doesn't change. His Word, I said God's Word hasn't changed. It's still yes and amen. He still is the same as He's always been. Are you with me? We'll say to ourselves, well, self, you know, uh, you could have done better than that. You, you should have uh, uh, went further than what you went. And we'll believe whatever we've said about it. But I just believe that God has a greater plan, has a greater purpose. And that if we'll listen to what God's Word says about us, instead of always listening to what, God, what we say about ourselves, then we'll go further than what we need to go. You've got to tell yourself er- these things every day because you're going to face battles. I have people that are facing battles continually and, and they want to talk. They want to talk to you, want to share with you what's going on. And you can listen. And here's the thing. A lot of times... I'll hear what they're going through and the very thing they've been going through, the message and the answer was preached the week before. All they had to do was receive it. All they needed to do was not just sit in the service and hear it go through one ear and out the other, but get it into their heart and believe what God said about them. That they are more than a conqueror. That greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That I am somebody in God. And not everybody that says something about me is true, but the word of God is true. God can't lie, and what he has spoke over me will come to pass. So the first thing you need to understand this morning is God has anointed me to accomplish the purpose or my purpose. God's anointed me to accomplish my purpose. You need to say that about yourself. Hey, God's anointed me to accomplish my purpose. What is it God's called you to do? I don't know what it is, God. That's why we need to try to find out what it is that God has called you to do. Just like Jesus, the Bible says, was anointed of the Father and later went to heaven, the Holy Spirit was sent to anoint you and anoint me to accomplish that purpose in the earth. God did not anoint me to accomplish your purpose. I'm not here to accomplish your purpose. I can't stand at the door and greet. I can't sing the songs up here. I can't be in the nursery. I can't be teaching in children's church. I'm not a, why? That's not my purpose. That's not what God called me to do. But when we discover what our purpose is in God, when we realize that, hey, God did call me something for something bigger and better than what I'm in right now and where I'm going, and if I will get in my purpose, if I will begin to move in my purpose I'm not called to sing come on somebody I'm not called to do this God did call me to do this though and I'm going to do it well you know people get I don't know they get a little bit of bent out of shape when everybody doesn't fit completely into their mold and when they think they're supposed to do one thing God 
But if you understand that God anointed you to accomplish your purpose, and he will give you what you need to finish it. Here's something I thought about. How does God anoint me with his purpose? Well, part of it is getting close to him. Just getting close. How many remember, and I'm just, just a little bit on the story here, how many remember when the only way you could get something from one phone to the other was with a Bluetooth thing? I mean, even really before texting was really a big thing, you could, if you could get the phones together close enough, you could sync them and, or whatever, and you could Bluetooth a picture. If the picture is about that big square, and it looked like something you got out of a magazine somewhere in a bad magazine, and it didn't, wasn't no good hard at all, but you, if you could get that picture to somebody else, you were like, yes. My brother-in-law one time, he, he's, he's been struggling getting into the 21st century, and if you've got a phone... That's not a uh, not a uh, iOS or a smartphone. Please don't be don't be upset at me. But he's a lot younger than most people that still have flip phones, and he's got a flip phone. And he sent me this. He wants to send me this picture of a deer that he killed. And he's usually, I mean, this guy he kills some deer. He sent me this picture, and I'm like, I'm like really looking at it, and I'm like, what in the world? Because he took it from a flip phone and then sent it to me from that flip phone and I'm looking at it and I can't really tell a whole lot about it because I had to ask him about it later. Here's what I want to say to you, Bluetoothing, you had to be close enough. There's something else new out. It's not really new, but it's something new to a lot of people that my wife and I use quite often and that's called AirDrop. And airdrops on, on a lot of your devices and you have to be close enough and you can airdrop a picture without ever sending it through text. You just have to have that person in your contacts and have to accept what they're doing and it makes something very simple. Here's the thing that I need you to get. You've got to be, and we've tried this. We, sometimes we're from one room to another and they're not close enough to get it. You've got to be close enough to get it. Here's the thing. We want what God has and what God says about us, but we've got to be close enough to get what He's given us. Are you with me? We'll be off in the other room. God, I hope you can bless me where I'm at. And God's saying, hey, if you'll just draw near to me. You remember me saying? He's saying to the, widow, the woman who had the issue of blood, she said, I'm not, it's not good enough that I see Jesus out in the crowd out there. It's not good enough that I pray and say, oh God, touch me right here where I'm at. I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But the Bible says that she drew near. She had to get close to where he was. How do you know that she had to get close? Because the Bible says when she reached out and she touched the edge of the fridge of the hem of his garment it was at that moment that she was made whole I'm telling you if you want to know what your purpose is get closer to him and you're going to find out what it is too many people want to hold God at a distance they want to they want to act like God doesn't want to be close to them and God really wants to be close to them you, do you know why, and I'm getting ahead of myself, we're talking about the life of David and we're, and we're comparing that to our own lives? Do you know why that David ended up being the king? Do you know why God called him at 10 to 13 years old to be the king? I'll tell you why. The Bible called him a man after God's own heart. He was a man who didn't just say, I love God. He was a man who got in the fields and talked and sang and wrote about the love of God. He worshiped the Lord when it was wasn't anybody but himself and a few of his father's sheep. But because he got close, oh, come on, somebody. The Lord marked him. The Lord marked him and said, that's, that's somebody I want. 
Why do we expect God to use us in our purpose if we won't get close enough for God to even allow us to discover what our purpose is? Christ is in me. If Christ is in me, amen, come on somebody. If we believe that He is in me and we believe that His anointing is now in me, why do I need to come close? Well, allowing God to come near you is allowing His Spirit to work through you. And when you do that, it's the purpose that you have in your life that you need or He will give you the purpose that you need to be able to accomplish any task in your life. Look at this real quick. 1 Samuel 16 verse 4. A, just the first half of this verse. So Samuel did... As the Lord instructed, he got the horn, he got the oil, he went to Jesse's house. Without the anointing helping us, we become legalistic. We try to do what we think God or something that we want to do. This is why we need the anointing that the enemy does not want you to have. He'd rather you go to a ball game to show up than to show up to church. He'd rather you go... He'd rather you go to a macro, uh, um, what is it, a macro, what's the thing you do? Macrame class than to come to prayer meeting. Anything to keep you away from what he knows will draw you. Amen. I know it's funny. Crochet. My grandmother crocheted. Anybody still crochet? A few people do. Oh, good. It's a lost art. I have many of those blankets. Uh, they're very handy in the wintertime. They look like Charlie Brown shirts, a lot of them. Y'all know what I'm, anybody else know what I'm talking about? My grandmother, they crocheted. My, my mother got into it for a while. Some of y'all crocheted. I don't have time to explain to y'all. To, uh, just look at, Google it. That's a good thing. It, it's, a, it's almost a lost art. But here's the thing. The enemy would rather get you to do anything other than drawing near to the Lord. He'd rather put a distraction. I guarantee you, if, if you say, you know what, I'm going to make up my mind. I'm going I'm to draw clear, closer to the Lord. I'm going to get close to God. I'm going to set apart a time of prayer to God. I'm going to set apart a time of prayer and reading the Word. I guarantee you that when you do that, when you get serious about it, your phone's going to ring. A text is going to go off. A Facebook notification is going to come through. Somebody's going to call you with an emergency. Why? It's not that the enemy's using your son, your daughter, a Facebook notification or the phone to ring, but it's because the enemy knows that any distraction in your life that he can keep you from drawing near to God, he will. Why? Because the more you draw near to him, the more God favors and looks at you and says, you know what, that's someone I can use. That's someone I can use. So the first thing that we need to understand is we've got to do what God's commanded us to do and called us to do because the anointing is what helps me to accomplish the purpose that I need to accomplish in my life. Look at the last half of that verse in verse 5. 1 Samuel 16. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came, trembling to meet him. said, what's wrong? They asked, do you come in peace? That was a big question. He says, yes. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rites for Jesse and his sons and invited them to sacrifice too. So when the Lord sometimes would come and speak through a prophet like Samuel, it wasn't always good. 
A lot of times the prophet would speak, and, and in the Old Testament, it may, be, uh, it may be something that's not really good for everybody. And so the prophet would speak, and his words would not be easy. So the elders of the town come, and they look at Samuel, and they say to Samuel, Hey, Samuel, are you coming in peace? Are you coming to speak in peace? Look at what verse seven, 6 says. When they arrived, Samuel took one of the took one look at Elab, which is the, one of the older sons of Jesse, and thought, surely this is the one the Lord's anointed. In other words, this dude looks good. He's like Tegan. He's got big old shoulders. He's a big old feller. He ought, he's a good-looking guy. He's a good-looking guy. Amen. He's, he's a, he's a good-looking guy. Surely this is him. Are you all with me? Surely he's anointing. Verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, don't you look at his appearance. Don't look at his outside. Don't look at his height. Don't look at, don't look at how tall he is. For I have rejected him. Not that Elab was a bad person. It just wasn't the person that God had chosen for that task and that purpose. Are you with me? You say, what, what about Saul? What's up with Saul? How come he's king and, 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 and he's the king and now God's rejected him? Didn't God put him in there to start with? Go back and read your Bible and you'll find out that they kept saying, hey, let us have a king. And God said, I'll be your king. You don't need an earthly king. We want a king. But you don't need an earthly king. No, you don't need a king. I'll be your king. We want a king. God said, okay, you want to have it that way? You can have it your way. Burger King mentality, let me give you Saul. And he gave him Saul, gave them Saul and guess what it was one of the worst things in the world can I tell you every time you want something you think you want from God the way you want it and God doesn't do it you can get all puffed up mad go on and get, get up with your bad stuff go get you some Burger King Whopper mentality and have it your own way and I got news for you God will let you have it the way you want it He'll let you have it the way you want it. He'll say, yeah, go on with your bad stuff. You do that. You just let it happen the way that you want it to happen. Because it didn't turn out the way that you want it to. Even though a man of God, a woman of God, somebody spoke into your life, told you that it needed to be different, you got all mad about it. Let me tell you something. God will let you have it your way. But don't you point your finger back at Samuel and say, well, I knew this wasn't going to work out. I knew this wasn't going to go right. Don't point your finger back at God and in his face and say I'm mad at you it was you there ain't nobody to blame but you we want to blame everybody else nine times out of ten the blame's right on us it's because of what we've done and the choices we've made in our own life that's caused us to be where we are. I'm not saying that everything in your life is because of you, but I'm saying that nine times out of ten most of it is choices that we've made in our own life Okay, let me move on. Good word. It says, but the Lord looks at the heart. People judge people by outward appearance. You don't think that's true? Let me stand up beside somebody six foot four. Let me say, Pastor Short. Why do you think I married somebody five foot two and a half? somebody she makes me look tall right that's why when she comes out of the bedroom got on some of them two before clod hopping things you know what I'm talking about they're about that thick you wonder how they even walk in them and she's got them on and I look at her and we're eye to eye now <laughs> baby you need to put on some flat shoes on something else there <laughs> we taller than I am 
man looks at the outer appearance. Hey, you, you, you put on a few pounds, haven't you? You, know, you could be away from somebody for, you know, if you're around somebody all the time, you might not notice that they got weight loss or gain if you've been around them all the time. If you're around them all the time, you might not really notice it. You go up to your relative's house. You know that aunt that can't keep her mouth shut? You know which one of them. Everybody's got one. Come here, you, you ain't so and so. Susie, some sugar. Baby, you done put on some weight, hadn't you? You know who I'm talking about. Man looks at the outside. We look at the exterior. You don't believe that? Go to the beauty shop. They still call it a beauty shop? Man is not here. To, do they call it a beauty shop? Salon. Excuse me. <laughs> Go to the salon. Get your hair changed up. Get it, get it colored different. One fellow said frosted. Get your hair cut. Get it stood up on the end. Come into the church. And I guarantee you, it ain't going to be ten minutes at the church. And somebody say, oh girl, you got your hair done. Why? Because men look out the outside. That's how we judge appearance. But the Word of God declares that God doesn't look at your hairdo. He doesn't look at your height. He doesn't look on the extra pounds you got on. He looks at the inside, the interior of a man and says there's something on the inside of him that I can use. That's what God looks at. I apologize to the camera people because I know like watching a tennis match this morning. But let me just go on here. God only looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 8 through 11. We're going to get through some of this and we're going to have to close here in just a minute. Then Jesse told his son, Abinadab, to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. That's the priest. Abinadab is one of the sons. And Samuel said, this is not the one God's chosen. Next, Jesse summons another boy. He says, that's not him. In the same way, all the seven sons came to Jesse. But Jesse's, there's one of them that has not. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So Samuel looks at all of these sons. You know what he does? You know what he does? Come here, Tegan, come help me. We're gonna, I'm going to have to finish here in just a minute. Tegan, and I want uh, um, Wayne. If I can't call you a name, you know who I'm talking Just stand right up here. You know who I'm talking about. It's like your kids. You know who I'm talking about if I point at you. Come here, Pastor Ted. Come on, Michael, help me. You sitting too close to the front. You help me a minute. Come in, Nathan. Come on, bud. You better quit sitting in the back. I'll be making you walk all the way to the front. Pastor Ted, get around here in the front. We're going to pretend we got seven here, even though we don't. I don't want to hurt nobody else's feelings again. I could have called Sammy up here. We didn't do that. Samuel says, bring all your sons. He brings them all up front. Now, this is, this is the good part of this whole thing. And he's looking over them. They're different heights. One's got a ponytail. <laughs> One's got a full head of hair. One's got a few head of hair. One, some's got gray hair. Come on, somebody. Some's got beard. Some can't grow a beard. <laughs> but he's got them all up there. And Samuel passes by each one. He has the horn of oil and he's looking and the Holy Spirit's speaking to Samuel. How does he know? How do you know the Lord's speaking to you? You'll know. You'll know when the Lord does it and you'll know when he does it. 
You'll make some of the worst mistakes in your life when you haven't listened to what the Lord says to you. And he goes by the first one. I don't know that he touches him, but he looks at him. And the Lord says, it's not him. I'm making you the oldest. You are the oldest, I think. Yeah, you got him skinned. He goes by the next one. Is Mike older? You shouldn't have told that. He looks at him. All right, y'all, let me finish preaching now. He looks at the next one and he says, you know, that's got to be him. Look at him. That's got to be him. Good looking fella, big fella. We done went through all this. He's, that's got to be him. And the Lord said, no, that's not him. I haven't chosen him. Looks at the next one and he says, that, that's him. That's got to be him. Smart, good looking fella. It's got to be him. No, it's not him. He comes to the next one. He said, he tried, he tried. And the Lord said, yeah, he did, but that's not him. Now look at this. I want to put it in context because I, I know you're getting a little bit of a laugh out of this. But you know what? Do you know what Samuel, when you read these verses, and then Samuel asked, look at this. Are these all the sons you have? Now we read it from the Bible and we think, are these all the sons you have? I'm going to put it in 21st century, you understand it. Is this all you got? <laughs> that's what he was asking. We're going to get to this point, but I'm going I'm to help me out here today. He said, no. Got one more, but he wasn't even invited to the party. <laughs> kind of nappy-headed and ruddy-faced. <laughs> he don't look like much. Smells like sheep dung a lot. Been down in the fields tending sheep and writing songs. But I got something. There's something inside of here. You can't look at his outside, because if you look at his outside, he ain't, he, ain't, he ain't a whole, you know, I hold on to him here, but he ain't a whole lot to hold on to here. Are y'all with me? He, he, ain't got a, he ain't a lot of muscles here. Come on, somebody, are you with me? He's still growing boy. He's going to be taller than I am. But here's what he was saying. He was saying, I've looked at all that you have, and is that all you've got? The Lord said, no, there's one. And that one, go get him. And Samuel looks at his relative, or he looks at, uh, at Jesse and the rest of them, and he says, go get him. And we're not even going to sit down until he gets here. Because he's the one the Lord's chosen. Thank you, guys. Y'all can sit down. I, I appreciate that. Amen. Thank you, guys. Look at this, Samuel 16, 12. They're going to put this verse up on there. And it says, and if y'all get me a little bit of music to play. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark, look at this, and handsome. He'd been out in the sun. He didn't have no farmer's tan. He'd been in the sun. With beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is him. Anoint him. And I want to tell you something. As we get ready to pray, and we're going to pray here in just a moment. Somebody's coming to this house, and because the enemy has said to you, you're not really visible in the church. You, you, you don't preach, you don't sing, you don't, you don't do a lot of things. You may be cleaning, you may be picking up trash. You're not visible, listen to this, listen to me. You're not visible, so you're not valuable. But I'm here to tell you something. Just because David was not visible did not make him unvaluable. 
Because when the Lord said, this, this isn't him. These, these guys, as good as they look, and even in their age, they're great-looking guys. But that's not them. The one I've chosen, he's dark-skinned, got beautiful eyes. Young, 10 to 13. Bring him up here. And let's don't sit down until he gets here. Because the one you bring is the one who will be king. Would you stand with me? I'm going to tell you one other thing as we get ready to close this service. And I'm going to pick up next week. We've got several few weeks of this to go, but hear this. When Jesse brought him up and they anointed him king, we're not going to get into all these verses, but I'm, I'm trying to complement a little bit of what we're doing in the youth student department and, and help you too. When they brought him up, Pastor Ted, and they got him there and they anointed him king, he's 10 to 13 years old. Guess what? How many of y'all want your 10 to 13-year-old handling your 401K? <laughs> Some of y'all say, I don't even want him to take the trash out because the dogs will get into it. When he, be, when he was anointed king, look at this. The process was he would not be king immediately. He had the title, but he wouldn't be king. The Lord called me to preach at 15. I didn't even know where to start. Come on, somebody. At 15, I didn't even know how to untie three scriptures real good. But the Lord had called me. The next thing we need to understand is there's a process. So what did, what did David do after he was anointed king? I'll tell you what he did. He went back to shoveling sheep stuff. You know what the problem in American church is? We think if we've got a title, then we ought to be stuck in a place somewhere. We ought, to be, we ought to have a new hairdo, and everybody ought to notice that hairdo today. And the truth of it is, there's a lot of times when God's called us, anointed us, and given us the purpose, He's not going to put a new hairdo on you. You may be back to the same, you may be back to shoveling sheep stuff. But there will be a day that will come that God will say, that's enough. I'm bringing you into the kingdom. We've got a long way to go with this. Because the next thing that happens to David is he's called into the kingdom. Not because he's a good sheep herder. Not because he's a good shepherd. Not because he's tending his father's flock. He's called to the, to the kingdom because Saul is now being tormented by this spirit. He can't stand himself. He can't go to sleep at night time because he's tormented. Listen to this. Saul said, Samuel, uh, Saul said, listen to this, bring me a musician. You know what he was saying? Bring me somebody that can play because when this thing starts tormenting me, the only way I can get any rest is when I hear music and my mind unwinds from it. It's in your Bible. And you know what he did? He didn't go out and say, find me a good shepherd. He didn't say, go out and find me. You know, what he, you know what they did? They went and they found David. And they got David because David was the one. And here's what they said. They didn't say, we brought you a halfway good musician. They said, we brought you somebody who could play very well. I said that to tell you that when God's purposed you and he's called you, he could position you and give you exactly what you need to fulfill everything He's purposed for you. Amen. 
I want to do something different this morning as I feel led in my heart. I want all of, if you're teaching a class, you're leading in an area, house-to-house group, you're a deacon in this building, you're a wife of a deacon this morning, I want you guys to come and stand with me. Come on, I need as many of you that can to come and stand with me this morning. There's people in the nursery. We've got folks over in Children's Church. And I want everybody to look at me for just a moment. This morning, as I was talking to some different leaders that were in and out of the office there for just a few minutes, we were preparing for the service. What's on my heart, Pastor Ted, isn't always that we have got to figure out what our purpose is because you know what yours is I know what mine is most of you know that are standing here you know what your purpose is you figured that out you know what God's calling is upon your life even sometimes when you reject it and push it away you know what it is I want to pray that God uses you I believe that Angela God has anointed you to teach He's, he's anointed you to administrate and to lead I believe that with all of my heart. I, I believe that Gray Lynn is anointed to teach. She had a 